there are more young people who are passionate, who are driven, mm. who are ambitious, who are breaking barriers, who are showcasing yeah. that you know, the realm of age discrimination does not hold anymore. That nowadays, you know, the idea, the so-called idea that you have to be twenty, you have to have twenty plus years for you to hold a position of leadership, doesn't count anymore because. The reality is we're working within 21st century context and who is more adept to 21st century context than actually people within the 21st century world. Hey everyone, it's Marie Noel here with the Brentus Foundation podcast. So the team is a little busy and so today what we have for you is a podcast from our archives with Emily van der Merwe and Kaine de Seppel. If you remember, Emily was a co-host of this podcast and she is one of the co-authors of the book The Asian Aspiration. And Kaine de Seppel as ever is one of the most brilliant men from Southern Africa. He comes from Botswana. We had a brilliant conversation about youth leadership in Africa and these are insights you would want to hear again. Enjoy. So what are we serving today? What is on the menu? Ladies and gentlemen, I am delighted to present to the house today's special youth and youth leadership in Africa. I'm excited because I really, really am. Um, today we are going to slice this topic up in so many different ways. Um, stay tuned with us. It's going to be juicy conversations all the way through. Wow, did I just say juicy? I'm not too sure whether that is way too old for my age or way too young for my age, but we'll just go with that for now. Um, so I have been doing some reading. Yes, I do prepare for these folks. Freestyle is not my thing. It's more Emily's thing. Um, and I came across a few things I thought would be great to sort of get us started uh, around the conversation with Africa's youth. So by 2050, Africa's young population, that is people aged between 0 and 24, will increase by nearly 50%. Um, we'll have the largest number of young people, making up nearly twice the young population of South Asia, Southeast Asia, East Asia, and Oceania. Oceania? Oceania. Uh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, combined. Um, meanwhile, half of Africa's countries recently registered a deterioration in the education subcategory between 2013 and 2017, meaning that for a lot of our countries, our citizens' educational outcomes have been worsening. Um, you know, some of these statistics I, don't, I found personally to be heesh, not necessarily jarring, but it's just quite concerning, if I can call it that. Um so honestly, there's a lot more out there, um, interesting and concerning statistics about the quantity and the quality of African youth. But I just thought this is sort of a good way to frame some of the realities that we are dealing with or we will be dealing with in the next couple of decades. Um, Emily, this topic was not a part of the book per se, but it's a pertinent subject when it comes to discussions around Africa's development and hence why it warrants a conversation. So Africa has the largest population of young people in the world. We know this for a fact and will do so for the next three decades, um, perhaps maybe even more. Are we at an advantage? Definitely. Um, in the book, we liken Africa's young population to like a battery. Um, I don't know if that's a crude um, simile, but um, basically the, the whole world is growing old and Africa is growing young. <laughs> yeah. um, our, everyone in our continent is, is young except for our leaders, but we'll get there pretty soon. Um, but yeah, so, so we see many countries, Europe, um, parts of Asia, 
um, that have these aging populations that are creating big problems in terms of uh, social welfare um, as the, the dependency ratio um, decreases, which means that you have um, less and less people in the working age group and more and more people in the, you know, dependent retirement group, um, which government needs to take care of. Mm. Um, and, and you look at a place like France, where people are, are among other things, protesting about um, changes in, in mandatory retirement ages. So um, Africa definitely has a big advantage. Um, but the question is, and that's what what's called a, a youth dividend. Um, it, will we make use of it or will we let it go to waste by not educating our young people? So thank you, Emily, for sharing your thoughts on that. Um, Africa, definitely, I agree that we um, definitely have an advantage there, but I think um, a lot of that comes with how we are able to sort of harness that. Um, up next, we had the chance to catch up with Kaine Seppel. He is a youth leader from Botswana. Let's listen into the conversation we had with him recently. So Kaine Decepo is a man after my own heart. Aside from being truly inspirational and an absolute hoot to be around, Kaine in his spare time is out to reshape the world and his medium of impact is education. He has a true visionary and Kaine fashion already gifted himself a 30th birthday present by establishing soon to be Botswana's biggest leadership academy. He is the co-founder of Inspired Horizons Association and Change Africa, where he's changing the narrative of academic excellence and providing training to produce excellent graduates in transformative leadership and innovation. Kaine, welcome. Did I do a good job, by the way? <laughs> you did an excellent job. Thank you so much. <laughs> and, and how old are you, by the way? <laughs> right? Oh, wow. Um, I like to believe I'm 18, but <laughs> reality is that it hits. In case you didn't get that, that's 27. <laughs> that's fine. You can tell yourself whatever, and it works great. Uh, so thanks again, Kaini, for agreeing to do this with us, especially on short um, notice. I can't tell you how like honored we are to have you here. Before phoning you, actually, Emily and I were just talking about the topic of, you know, like youth leadership in Africa. And I know this is an area of interest for you as well. Um, so from the work that you have done, um, and let's just say all you aspire to achieve, how do you think that um, Africa's youth can impact and perhaps play a better role in Africa's development trajectory, at least more than uh, our parents did, or even for some people, the liberator generation of our grandparents? Mm, oh, that's, that's an excellent question. <laughs> um, you know, what's striking, and I really wanted to, to start off with this, and it's worth reiterating, is that what we are seeing is it's more of a paradigm shift, particularly when you're looking at representative democracy in Africa, where more and more young people are assuming um, positions of leadership. Mm -hmm. And often at times was as progressive or pro-democracy. Just to um, highlight one thing, for instance, um, it's important to take note that not all young politicians are progressive or even pro-democracy. Yep. So, you know, in as much as, um, it's worth saying that, look, you know, the number of young people you're holding positions, I mean, holding positions of leadership are increasing. Let's also remember that we should not juxtaposition that with um, ideas of positive freedoms and liberation. Now, with that being said, um, I think it is still representative of the actual paradigm shift, 
which is that they're doing away with the old tradition and institutions of assuming that only people, in, you know, only older generations are the more experienced, so-called seasoned people to be holding these positions. Um, and I think it's important to really reiterate that looking at what's been happening right now with the current status quo, you know, for instance, we have a 23-year-old um, Emma Theophilus from Namibia, who is now the youngest minister, you know, from, uh, he's the Deputy Minister of Information and Technology. In yeah. our own country, yeah, we had um, Ms. Boholik Inawendo, Honorable Boholik Inawendo, um, who was uh, the, the youngest in our history at 30 years old to be the Minister of Investment, Trade and Industry. Now, yeah. even higher that, you know, countries like Finland, we have, you know, your Sanam, um, is it Sanam Marine, um, 34 years old, um, who is the country's youngest ever prime minister. And you know, I think what's indicative of this, particularly, um, it, it really is to say that there are more young people who are passionate, who are driven, mm. who are ambitious, who are breaking barriers, who are showcasing yeah. that, you know, the realm of age discrimination does not hold anymore. That nowadays, you know, the idea, the so-called idea that you have to be twenty, you have to have twenty plus years for you to hold a position of leadership, doesn't count anymore. Because the reality is, we're working within twenty-first century context, and who is more adept to twenty-first century context than actually people within the twenty-first century world? Um, and this, is young people. So, um, you know, it's worth reiterating. But another thing that I really wanted to echo here is we have an issue of transitional politics, which is often very difficult. Uh, transitional politics, which is in a sense, you know, you get a guy in there who's 26, you know, 26 years old or 18 years old, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you put them in a position of leadership. You are working within centuries-old bureaucracies. Now, is an issue of how do you then come up with tangible, much more relevant, practical ideas um, that are going to be implemented? Remember, you are the policymaker. You are the leader in itself. You're not necessarily the implementing agent. The implementing agent, they are still, you know, um, bureaucracies or bureaucrats who are extremely, what we would say, not used. Um, so it's an issue of transitional politics. And how do we ensure that um, given the demographic challenges that we're facing, politics right now in Africa in particular is still run by, you know, older generations in as much as we're having leaders and, you know, and there will be resistance. There will be pulling and hauling. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges that we're facing and often least talked about when we're discussing leadership in Africa, the resistance that they're experiencing with old bureaucracies. And Kaine, how would you say we can start to address some of these things, right? So, especially you know yeah. the resistance with like the old bureaucrats. How do we, how do we tackle this in a manner that is progressive, that is inclusive, without causing sort of discord between those two sets of people, those two groups of people, if I can call it that? Yeah. Um, now that's a uh, that's that's a very interesting question. You know, it so happens that in my country, uh, I I sit in the board for the Botswana National Youth Council. Uh, you know, but funny enough, these are some of the things that we're challenged with. You know, how mm -hmm. do we then try to create safe spaces for engagement, safe spaces yeah. for accountability? Um, as young people working within the realm that is you know that's inherently 
old age, you know, in terms of the traditions, in terms of the bureaucracy. Yeah. And um, there is this lady, her name is Rachel Adams. Now, she's a leadership development consultant, and she did a TEDx talk in our capital city, Khabarone. Essentially, what she was talking about is that Africa is suffering from a crisis of courage, right? Um, and mm. as much as when we're looking at young people and we're saying Africa is suffering from a crisis of leadership, in a sense, what she's talking about is that the leadership is there. Young people are also there. Um, it's the courage. And the reason why she was saying that, um, and she was basically illustrating that the outcome of acting courageously is that often something new is created. Now, that's the mm. outcome of acting courageously. Um, however, what we are seeing, particularly in the context of Africa, is that the energy that we keep exerting is not necessarily creating something new, uh, but is used largely to complain, protest against old institutions. Uh, you know, and, and by definition, uh, what we're actually doing is not necessarily being courageous, but we're rather being passive aggressive. Hmm. So I thought uh, it was an interesting perspective on it. So, um, it really does go on to say, what are we really advocating against? And what is this understanding of advocacy, right? If we're arguing for um, a change in the reform process, that we want to get more technocratic, able people, um, which is much more reflective of the world right now, then the best way is to ensure that the outcomes that we, you know, we're arguing against, um, our outcomes in particular, will be leading to a reform change. Emily, what are your thoughts on the conversation with Kaine? He, I found him to be super smart. I mean, he is like the visionary we need. And I'm like, ah, can I just clone you and put you in like every other country? Absolutely. No, I, I love Kaine. And um, uh, yeah, the three of us went to university together. Um, yeah. You've mentioned that. But um, so, no, he's, a, he's an incredibly inspiring person. Um, I think what, what's interesting um, about some of the things he touched on is, is that there's this misconception about what's what's really the bottleneck like what's the problem are there not enough people willing to go into leadership are they not listened to is the quality of our leaders too poor it made me think about a piece i wrote a few weeks ago which is in the daily maverick um about you know the average age of african leaders and um the fact that uh in africa it's the norm to be uh, to stay in power for you know 10 15 20 sometimes mm -hmm. 30 years mm -hmm. uh, and so we've got the youngest continent with the oldest leaders. Um, and it's, it's, so kind of touched on this question of why is that? Is it, is it because we don't have young people? Is it because young people aren't being pushed through? Um, and then he mentioned Rachel Adams. Rachel's from Zimbabwe. Um, she studied in South Africa. That's how I know her. Um, she was a Mandela Road scholar. And, but then she, uh, she went to work in the States and she worked I think at Yale um, or one of the Ivy League universities as like an Africa um, representative, you know, in charge of um, diversifying the curriculum or like in, in, in a quite a high um, profile um, position there. That was, that's after she was at McKinsey. So she's quite a high flyer. Hmm. And then so and then one day she was in a meeting um, with, you know, top university management mm -hmm. and she suddenly felt like she was being taken for granted, like she was being um, not taken seriously as a young person, as an African person. She felt like for a second she realized that she was actually a token. Huh. And um, basically an and, in her. 
indulging her exactly that's the word mm, oh. and uh, and uh, so so it, it, that made her take a very difficult decision which was to go back to the continent and go back to, to Zimbabwe at that stage where she then founded this leadership um, academy and uh, which is going very strong and that's that's why Kanye knows knows of her mm-hmm. um, but so when, when when I met her she said something that's stayed with me like for many years and and what she said was that Africa has two enemies. It's uh, the elite, of course, um, that you know the people with the with the second passports um, are the people typically in leadership positions who can send their kids overseas to school or take themselves get get medical care um, um, overseas, and 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 they're in an enemy to progress because as long as you have the opportunity to leave whenever it gets tough. There's no real incentive to fix things back home. And the second enemy of the continent, um, and this one is a bit of a surprise, and, but the second enemy, Rachel said, was is the youth. Um, because, and, and that kind of ties into what Kanye said as well, is it's, it's not necessarily this issue of we don't have youth leaders or, you know, the systems are oppressing youth leaders. Right. It could also be that the youth aren't, um, they aren't really committed to the cause. And, and I, I'm not trying to say this as a blanket statement. Obviously, there are people who are fighting very hard and trying their best. But if we say that the elite and young people are the, are the enemy of, of Africa, mm-hmm. what do young people need to do better? And, um, and, and how do we shift the conversation from being, and this is something I think I've been thinking about recently, it's this question of, so some young some young people decide to go the official political route. Um, they they try to enter the system, and Kanye made the very good point that even if you replace the old people in the system, you're still working within an you know an old bureaucratic system. Yeah. So there are bigger things to fight than just who is sitting there. Yeah. But then a lot, you, a lot of young people have become clearly have become very um, disillusioned with the system itself, and they are. Trying other things, so they 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 are being trying to be leaders from outside the system. Mm. And here I'm thinking of, for example, Lindiwe Mazibuko, uh, who used to be a uh, parliamentary leader here in South Africa. Um, she founded the um, Unpolitical Academy, which is for exactly for this for young people who've grown um, disillusioned with the political system, but are leaders and are are, are wanting to do more. But they are in the private sector, um, and to kind of help them transition back in um, without necessarily uh, having to have political affiliations or you know be steeped in the system. And that so that also brings us to another point, which um, I'm hoping we'll touch on more. But why is it that young people prefer to be in the private sector as opposed to in the public sector? And it's a big issue and and I've, I've heard people say that a big part of this is the obviously it's the the incomes that are available in uh, the income disparities between the two sectors and mm-hmm. um, it's the fact that you know worldwide our con- big consulting firms our um, investment banks whatever they are literally draining away all the it, talk about a brain drain like it's it's literally stealing all the youngest smartest most ambitious people um, and there's none left for for leadership roles, um, and and there really is a need to address that. I don't know how. I don't know how we make it more appealing for people, for smart people, 
yeah. to go into into politics. No, that's definitely an interesting one. Um, and I think it's this idea of being disillusioned, right, with the public sector and sort of what some may have seen their parents, uncles, or maybe grandparents um, endure. Um, even besides the general disillusionment with that, you know, there's also this idea of in a lot of uh, sort of, if I can call it bureaucratic positions in government, there's a lot of things that somebody could say, maybe you could have a computer do or uh, that don't require as much or that don't allow if I should say as much creativity and expression and we live in a generation where people are told to speak up to be creative to be innovative and so unless we are able to sort of change the uh, work culture in most of those places it's going to be very stifling for people who would not want to leave and would find the the big investment banks and the big consulting companies more attractive than the sort of rote learning cookie cutter positions that almost bore you to death. All too soon, we've come to the end of this week's episode on youth leadership in Africa. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did putting it together. And that's the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. As always, do stay tuned for our episodes. Follow us on social media so you know when we post new ones. And hope to catch you next week. Take care.